0: This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit FilmGeekRadio.com for more great shows.
1: Listen up, men. The ABC is testing a new prototype, codenamed Last Resort. It was designed by one of their top specialists, showrunner Sean Ryan. Now, we don't know yet if this Last Resort program is going to work. But if it does, well, that could be a game-changer. Captain Johnson, Officer Harbin, I'm sending you on a reconnaissance mission want to know everything there is to know about this thing. Study it, analyze it, and report back. I expect weekly dispatches from St. Marina. The fate of our nation depends on it. So get to it. You have the con. The date is ten oh seven, twenty twelve. This is Dispatch 003 from the coast of St. Marina. The purpose of this message is to report our observations on the new prototype that has been launched by the ABC, codenamed Last Resort. I'm Captain Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined by my exo, Greg Harbin.
0: Uh, permission to speak freely, sir. Permission granted. Ah, thank you. Stand down from attention now. How are you doing, Greg? I am doing pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. We have quite a lot to talk about in this episode.
1: We're going to be talking about the second episode of Last Resort. Uh, it's an episode titled "Blue on Blue." It was directed by Kevin Hooks and written by Carl gaj and we forgot to mention last time Carl Gaj he isn't he didn't just co-write the pilot with john ryan he's the co-creator yes. of the show
0: yeah so I, I I don't know where he comes from uh, maybe he was a staff writer on the shield I haven't been able to pick up pick up on that, but he does appear to be basically the other big name on this show
1: yes and it's it's interesting to see that he went on to write the second episode of the show but Sean Ryan did not right why don't you go ahead and give our listeners a brief synopsis of what happened in this week's episode
0: right so this week is sort of it's continuing the plot line of them having taken over this island of St. Marina and sort of establishing the perimeter around the island and at the very beginning of the episode there's another sub that's sort of poking its way over the line so they scare it off by shooting a a W torpedo at it It's not going to explode, but it did hit the other sub. So they sort of scared them away. But then there was a 747 that got really close, I think, what, 40 miles away. And they said, well, that could be a Delta Force team dropping in just to wipe them out. And Kendall, the XO, puts together a team to go after what they think is the Delta Force. Turns out those are actually Russians who are making a play for the nuclear sub. And Chaplin basically gets the new Secretary of Defense on the line has them talk to the Russians and basically says, look, you guys are trying to start a war here. I'm just trying to establish a perimeter. So the Russians get scared away. So that's pretty much the, the main plot line. Also in there is the story of King, who sort of is dealing with guilt over something. We're not really sure what. And he has to sort of deal with that and decide to help Kendall and this team uh, fight off the Russians. And there's also the story of Autumn Reeser, who is that defense contractor right kylie sinclair kylie sinclair that's right who ends up getting somebody killed she she has a mole in the defense department and he's killed by somebody because she's pumping him for information
1: right and then there's also some more information revealed about chaplin and in particular uh his exo sam Kendall and his background and some issues related to his wife and we're actually going to make that our main topic of today's episode, but before we really uh, dive into things, here is a clip. Walk we'll at Inland and we'll set up a kill zone.
0: Maybe they walk right into it. Worst case scenario, they get wise, they kill us all. Best case scenario, we send a compliment of American Body Bags home. By the way, This sucks.
1: The siege of Grozny in 94. 2,000 Russians died, fighting their own. In the aftermath, generals resigned, others were tried. But for days they fought. Brother killing brother by the thousands in the freezing cold. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why?
0: sometimes the enemy is just the man keeping you from getting home
1: alright Greg let's talk about how this episode opens up as we commented on last week the show is very fast paced Mm. and once again uh, this episode just kind of throws you into the middle of things and we find out that there are 20 warships in route to uh, St. Marina that are sort of skirting the edge of that uh, 200-mile border that Chaplin established. So within the first five minutes of the show, we learn that there are 20 warships around them. They turn on the Perseus, which is that prototype device that we had talked about last week, how we weren't sure if they had actually turned it on yet. turns out they hadn't, but they they turned it on. They're effectively cloaked. And then, as you mentioned, they fire a torpedo at the Illinois. And all of that happens within the first five minutes of the show.
0: Yeah, it's like, let's let's jump in. Let's show people the submarine. Let's show some really fancy special effects shots. Get people really excited. And I was kind of excited. Oh, this is going to be a, you know, like a sub battle episode. But that kind of goes away pretty quickly after they fire the torpedo.
1: Right. I'm honestly not sure if that really needed to be in there. <laughs> you could probably cut that from the episode entirely, and yeah. it wouldn't matter. I I think it, it mainly just serves to establish that, oh, there's this thing called the Perseus uh, that right. they can activate, and it's basically a cloaking device.
0: Right. And that is really nice because they were able just to go wherever they wanted, and the other ships couldn't know who they were. The, the one thing that was really good from that was showing the captain of the Illinois. We didn't actually see him last time. We find out he's a, I mean, at least he's a colleague of Chaplin's. So we actually see him on the ship dealing with that. So hopefully we'll see some tension between him and Chaplin in upcoming episodes.
1: Right. I did think it was interesting that once again, we find the crew of the Colorado in a situation where they're forced to back up their word. And Chaplin does have to stand by what he said. So he does fire at the Illinois, but it's a dummy missile. And that reminded me of, you know, last week when he did fire a nuclear weapon at DC, but it blew up 200 miles off the coast. Right. I'm wondering at what point will people start to call his bluff and basically say, look, you haven't actually hurt anyone yet, so we're just going to do what we have to do and take you out.
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point, he's going to run out of torpedoes. I mean, if you spend all of them shooting them unarmed or firing, you know, nuclear missiles away from populated areas. Yeah, at some point, you're just going to run out. And then even if you wanted to do an actual attack, you wouldn't be able to anymore.
1: Right. And, you know, um, Exo Harbin, even though I'm captain of, of, of this ship, I have to be honest, I'm not really sure how torpedoes work. Um I don't know <laughs> is it is it that you fire the torpedoes and then you can re- remotely just turn them off so to speak so that they don't explode? <laughs> or do you actually have to do something before you fire it to prevent it from exploding?
0: I think my understanding is that you basically set a timer that there's there's all this math that goes into especially sub warfare where you say it's going to take exactly this long for the missile to reach the place I want it to blow up. So they set the timer, shoot it off, and then it explodes. Uh, so if you never actually set it off, not the firing mechanism never goes off and it doesn't blow up. Although in this case, they may have actually sent in a, a torpedo that didn't even have explosives on it. I wasn't entirely clear on that, but I felt like nothing was going to happen with this missile. It was pretty much a dummy. It was used to say, look, We could blow you up, which that was a really good shot. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, but it hits like right on the tail of the Illinois. Like that would have completely destroyed them.
1: Well, I found myself wondering, okay, is it is it, you know, like you said, where they actually removed all of the explosive devices from the torpedo before they fired it? And if so, are they going to have to do that again to another torpedo just in case? They need a, a dummy torpedo sometime in the future. You know how, right. how many uh, dummy torpedoes do they have? And, right. Or is it just a question of you know when you when you fire it, as you mentioned, just changing the the timing of when it's supposed to explode? Or I, I'm not sure exactly right. what the mechanics are of that, but I would have liked to find out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to future plot lines where I don't know they have to make an expedition to the bottom of the ocean to you know recover their dummy torpedoes. <laughs> or, or maybe somewhere on the island, they find a cache of dummy torpedoes like in a hatch, and they, right. they're they like, oh, look, now we can fire dummy torpedoes for years and years. Well, um, as you mentioned, the
1: main plotline of this episode revolves around a team of who we initially think are Delta Force operatives being sent to St. Marina to make a play for the sub, and it turns out that they're actually uh, Russian Spetsnaz. So, the, Russia is actually trying to get their hands on this nuclear submarine. What did you think of that plotline?
0: It really, really fascinated me. And I like seeing the world of the show opened up. It kind of surprised me when they started with the Delta Force plotline that America was sending men on the ground so quickly. I mean, Chaplin had been pretty resolute that if you do anything, I'm just going to blow up D.C. or blow up New York or something. And this was a really blatant move on America's part. Even if they were able to take out the Delta Force, that was an escalation. So I was really surprised that they were doing it so soon. But I still, you know, kind of believed it. I I had no reason to say, well, it's not going to be them. It's got to be somebody else, because who would be stupid enough to land troops on an island that had a, a nuclear subpart out, outside. Uh, but apparently, the, the Russians are that stupid. But they, I mean, they fail miserably. I kind of feel like I wish it, they hadn't failed quite so spectacularly, quite so quickly, like maybe have them be an ongoing threat. Maybe there's Russians on the island. Uh, but they sort of wrap up the storyline. But it is really fascinating to know, well, there's there's more antagonists than just America out there.
1: Right. It does really kind of make you sit back and realize, oh, that's right. Other countries might be interested in this situation. And this episode takes place less than 24 hours after the end of the pilot episode, Captain. So it's sort of implied that as soon as Russia realized what was happening, and there was this tension (laughs) between the Colorado and the United States, they were like, oh, we need to take advantage of this. Which seems kind of realistic to me that, you know, another country might see that and be like, hey, we need to jump on this while we still can um, and kind of sneak in and, and try to try to surprise them.
0: Yeah, especially while the U.S. is already destabilized. You know, they've been watching, you know, the impeachment hearings and they've been watching um, the attack on Pakistan. And they're really interested in knowing what's happening. Like, we still don't quite know why we attacked Pakistan. So I'm sure the Russians are a little bit confused about that as well wondering if they need to get into this you know is this a play for you know taking over the Middle East like do they need to really be ramping up things on their end to make sure that if a full-scale world war breaks out you know they need to be prepared. You said that you kind of thought like it was wrapped up a bit
1: too easily. I don't think it's it's quite as cut and dry as that. I mean they do have these two Russian POWs now. And it's worth pointing out that they almost lost.
0: (laughs) That is true, yeah.
1: Kendall and Lieutenant Shepard were almost defeated by these Russian Spetsnas. And it's only because uh, King, the Navy SEAL, came in to save the day at the last minute that they were able to survive. Uh, There was a second there when it looked like uh, Lieutenant Shepard was about to meet her maker.
0: Yeah, it really. Did. I was actually quite worried. I mean, she does get shot. She's just sitting there basically ready to be killed. Uh, I think, I mean, doesn't a Russian actually come up to her and, and is ready to stab her in the neck?
1: Well, she basically just makes a mad dash for yeah. higher ground. Um, and she's shot, so she falls down. But th- she she gets up and is basically just charging and firing and she takes out a few soldiers. But then one of them sort of comes at her from the side and tackles her. right? Um, and then is about to split her throat, essentially, uh, when King shows up to, to save the day. And I, d- I did find that whole issue with Cobb and the fact that there were two soldiers that basically ran away.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: I thought that was interesting because it, it was sort of implied that Cobb, well, I guess I, his position is Cobb, chief of the vote. I guess I should call him Prosser. Um, Basically, it it sort of implied that he had kind of told them to run away, or that he was somehow involved in that whole
0: situation. Right. Yeah. I I was I was initially a little disturbed by the idea of these seamen just you know abandoning their post essentially, Uh, but when you think about it, you know these are people built to follow orders, but they're built to follow orders from a chain of command, you know that starts at the president, and now they've got a split chain of command. They've got orders from the military saying, you know, you shouldn't be here at all. They've got orders from people directly above them, but basically mutineers. So, I mean, I've been hearing a lot of criticism of the show that as exciting as it is, as fun as it is, it's not portraying the Navy properly. And I'm looking forward to speaking to some of my friends who are actually in the Navy, getting some details on that, on exactly what they mean. But I think a lot of it comes out you have to remember that they have this split loyalty. I mean, what would you do if you're facing certain death? Even if you're trained to follow orders to your death, if those orders aren't coming from the government and you don't really believe in whatever this cause is that they're fighting for on the island, are you really going to be willing to risk your life for that? I
1: mean, it's it's interesting to think about that idea of split loyalty and the fact that, yes, Chaplin is their captain. So they are supposed to be following orders from him. But if you view him like Cobb does, as basically someone who, who is no longer in command, then yeah. maybe you should be taking orders from Cobb or someone else who is trying to, to, to follow the orders of the Secretary of Defense. There's also that brief little scene where the, the, the one guy asks Shepard to, to check his gun and basically to reassemble it. And it's kind of in this mocking tone where you basically get the impression that he's trying to size her up. Yeah. And it it wasn't really clear to me, is it just that they don't respect her because she's a woman, or is it because Cobb has actually told them not to respect her? And at one point, she she actually does tell them, you know, wait, if you're going to shoot me in the back, at least wait until after the fight so even she right. kind of gets the impression that these guys aren't on her side
0: yeah I'm, I'm hoping to see more of that in the future that where she can actually earn their loyalty and their respect because i mean as much as Chaplin might have it because he's been the captain i get the sense that she has not been on the boat long she as you say is a woman and that's a new thing especially on submarines and she's gonna have to earn their respect even, and especially with all of these events going on. But I'd love to see in a few episodes, you know, next season, you know, she gives an order and people just follow it because she's shown that she has what it takes. I I don't know that she's quite shown that. She's getting there. And as you say, she sort of did that mad scramble at the very end where she thought she was going to die. She showed an awful lot of bravery that these other guys obviously weren't showing at all. So that started, at least to me, um, to prove that she has what it takes,
1: right, and there's that whole issue with her and her her father, where basically she's re- she records this videotape before it all goes down uh that's supposed to get sent back to him, and it's sort of implied that their relationship is a little bit rocky, and that mm-hmm. they haven't always been very good about communicating with each other, which sort of in my mind acted as a parallel to Chaplin and his son. There's there's, there's this recurring theme throughout this episode of military fathers and their mm-hmm. children. And yeah. the idea of, you know, if your father's in the military, well, then you're in the military as well. And being in the military is, is almost like a family, I don't want to say a family business, but basically it, it's, it's sort of what your family does. And in yeah. both those situations you can tell that there's a lot of tension as a result. Shepard apparently has problems communicating with her father. And with Chaplin, we learn that his son was actually killed. And that undoubtedly um, has really affected him.
0: That That kind of came out as a shocker near the end of the episode. Cobb just sort of blurts it out in front of everyone to say, you know, this is why you're doing all these things. You know, it's not out of some sense of morality or the American way, it's because you're messed up because your son died and you don't know how to deal with it. Uh, which sort of ties into some stuff we were talking about last week where right. I was saying, you know, Chaplin doesn't really have a wife to go back to. He seems to be pretty much on your own. And you reminded me that he does have this son in Afghanistan. So then to find out in this episode that he doesn't have that son anymore, it really reinforces that, that. No, he really doesn't have anything. All he's got is the sub and the island and you know his sense of of right and wrong and he's just letting that guide him wherever it takes him which is even more scary than it was last week.
1: Right and and, and there is that sense that maybe Cobb is right. You know maybe the loss of his son by friendly fire has caused Chaplin to sort of reevaluate his feelings about the US military about the role of the military, about uh, the U.S. in general, maybe he is acting out of personal motives. Um, and maybe yeah. he does sort of hold a grudge against the go- against the U.S. government, which it would make him a terrorist, <laughs> as yeah. we debated last week.
0: Yeah, I, I liked the um, sort of the news headlines on the TV calling him, you know, nuclear madman. It's like, yeah, that that's pretty much how they'd
1: report it for sure. And speaking of what's going on back in the United States, we're still not quite sure what is happening in the government and what this conspiracy might be. We do find out that the assistant secretary of defense has been promoted to secretary of defense.
0: Yep, that's quite interesting um, because, you know, remember Chaplin last week wanted to talk to the secretary of defense and could not get him on the line. And that kind of worries me that if he's gone, has there been some sort of coup in Washington?
1: Clearly, there is definitely some some power struggles going on. But we haven't yet been shown what the details of those are. And it's implied that something really shady is going on because, as you mentioned in the recap, this guy that works in the Department of Defense, Linus, ends up yeah. being poisoned when... Autumn Reese's character, uh, Sinclair, basically tells him to go find out and confirm that the government ordered the Illinois to fire on the Colorado. So, what's your news?
0: see his prototype? Chaplin went ahead and tested it this morning on his own. The Colorado dropped right off everyone's screens. Kylie, it works.
1: Waiter, champagne, right away, we're celebrating.
0: No, 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 you don't understand.
1: They will take it away from you. They will go Patriot Act, they will go national security, and they will take it away from you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Chaplin said it was actually the Illinois that tried to sink the Colorado. Chaplin's insane. Really? Twenty-four hours ago, you would have said he was the paragon of virtue and patriotism. Now someone ordered the Illinois to fire. Somewhere that was recorded, and if you're right and they're trying to take my tech, then that order is my get out of jail free card. I need you to get- that Are you not money. hearing me? I can't help you anymore. What was the name of that brunette at your bachelor party? God, she was hot. Like, make me want to switch hit hot. Wasn't she? Was it Carol? Oh, no. No, no. That's your wife's name.
0: I thought we were friends.
1: We are friends. But you're a friend I pay a lot of money to. Linus, go find me that order.
0: There's all sorts of stuff going on in Washington that I I really want to get back to Washington to see. Because, I mean, what sort of government kill somebody, even if they're a mole, you know, throw him in jail, have a tribunal, but to sort of kill him in this crazy, poisoning manner, that's outside of the bounds of what our government does, even as much as, you know, there's issues of torture and extraordinary rendition. That's still, that's a a step way farther than I'd expect.
1: And it's not like he was acting treasonously, necessarily, in the sense that it's not like he was revealing information to another country right he was re- trying to get this information to reveal it to sinclair who's a, a, a private contractor so I, I guess you could say that that is still a form of treason but clearly there is something going on if he's going to be killed for that um, and that the character of sinclair i can't quite figure out if i like her <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's sort of a question of, do I have a problem with the actress? Do I have a problem with the writing? Uh, but there's something where, especially, you know, when she started out in the bar and there was the guy making that comment that, you know, we're just going to blow him up. And she starts just spewing exposition at him.
1: Well, well, she's mainly served so far as just an exposition machine. In the pilot, it was, I'm going to tell you all about the Colorado And their capabilities. And here when we first meet her again, she's talking all about the details of this weaponry. So in case there's anybody watching the show thinking, well, why don't they just blow up the Colorado? Right. You know, here she is to answer that objection.
0: But you've got to spread out the exposition a little bit. Like, give it to somebody else this week and let her have some, you know, some real personal moments. Don't have every time she appears be where she's being all navy geek about it. Although it was it was an interesting scene. I liked seeing her shout that guy down. And there it was really funny when Linus is like, wait, be quiet be quiet, be quiet. She's like, nobody's paying attention. It's sort of like in Jurassic Park, you know, Dodson, I've got Dodson here. And and nobody cares. <laughs> <Right.
1: laughs> I love yeah, that. And, you know, I it's she's a very awkward character so far, and I can't decide if it's just I'm not responding to Autumn Reese's performance or if it's just the way the the way the character is written because there is so much exposition. I mean, when she meets Linus, she basically greets him and by saying, Hey Linus, how's my favorite deep cover mole in the Defense Department doing today? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I'm th- and and they sort of laugh it off and make a joke out of it, but in the back of my mind I'm thinking, okay, that was clearly just a way to, to shoe in some exposition without really trying to work at it. It, it seemed a little yeah. bit lazy to me. Yeah, And by the end of the episode, we're, we're finally starting to get a sense that maybe this is an actual person, an actual character. Right. You, you know, maybe we can tell that she does feel a little bit guilty perhaps about putting Linus in this situation that, that ultimately
0: led to him being in a coma. And maybe she is just up to this point. She's been one of those people whose job Is everything to her. So she just goes around spouting exposition all the time. Um, But now that it's starting to get her into trouble, maybe she's going to be a little bit quieter about things. I mean, if you remember last week, she walked right up to Admiral Shepard and was just like, I know that you guys fired on the Colorado, sort of out in the open. Like maybe you should be a little quieter about things. Maybe just being so loudmouthed is getting you into trouble. And, and perhaps that's a lesson she learned through all of this. So next week we'll see her being a little bit more shady, trying to actually figure out what's going on, rather than just being an exposition machine.
1: Well, we discover that Linus did actually find what he was looking for. Right. Um, she, you know, she discovers that little piece of paper in... Uh, you know, in, in his possessions or whatever that says order 998. And I found myself thinking, wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me someone took the time to kill him, <laughs> uh, but not to check his belongings to make sure yeah. he hadn't revealed what he had learned? That's quite true. <laughs> That's rather convenient. <laughs> yeah, so far everything with, with the auto research character has been pretty awkwardly written. Yeah, unfortunately, it's,
0: it's a weird it's a weird storyline for for a show that has so much going on. She's probably the one part of it I wouldn't mind dropping off, or at least only going back to it when something really important's happening. Because it does seem a little ham fisted, and frankly, it's a lot less interesting than the stuff going on on the island where there's shootouts happening or sub battles and that really great showdown between the chief of the boat and Chaplin. their characters bashing heads is really, really interesting. And meeting the mole in a bar is eh, not my favorite part of the show.
1: <laughs> well, I still think there's a lot of potential for the character. Um, I thought it was very interesting that when she encounters Linus's, I, I, I'm assuming it's his mother in the hospital as she's leaving, um, Linus's mother doesn't say, you know, I hate you. I hope you die. She says, I hope you die alone. Yeah. Which is quite a different type of threat. So I'm yeah. wondering if now Sinclair is going to start to reflect more on that idea of who she is. That idea of maybe she should just stop manipulating people and actually form a connection with someone. Because when we saw her in the pilot... She yeah, she had that senator's staffer that she was going to have sex with, but it was implied that that was kind of just going to be a casual thing. He had never been to her apartment before. Right. So it, it, it we're sort of getting the impression that she doesn't have anyone in her life. We haven't seen her with any friends. We haven't seen her with a boyfriend. So that idea that if she just continues to view people as pawns for her to manipulate, she will... Ultimately, die alone. That's yeah. that's quite a, an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, basically, she needs to find a cause to believe in because right now it's been oh, I've got this toy on the ship, and I, I care about that. I, I want to you know advance that, but that's not really a cause worth dying for. Not really worth living for. It's not really that interesting. If she's going to be a character that we're going to care about, she needs to start doing things that are impressive. She needs to start. I don't know, maybe actually trying to figure out what's going on in the government. And maybe she'll be our lens eventually when she gains some character. She'll be our lens through which we see this coup play out in Washington.
1: Right. And and speaking of, you know, finding something that you believe in, that same idea gets brought up in relation to the character of of King. At the end of the episode, Lieutenant Shepard is at the bar with him and she flat out says, one of these days, you're going to have to decide what you believe in. Which is a very cliche statement and a very cliche idea that gets thrown out in, in these shows and in a lot of movies. Like,
0: mm-hmm. you just
1: need to, you need to find something that you believe in. And, and that's, that's <laughs> the problem with your character. Um, so right. it's a little bit of a superficial reading of, of King as a character, I think. But it is interesting that you could argue Sinclair back in Washington has the same problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's quite true. I was really fascinated. I've actually been, we didn't get to talk about King much last week. He's had a really interesting arc where I almost was ready to just write him off as a bad guy when he, he makes that speech, um, to the, the warlord about how he could just kill all of his men and then shoot the guy through the neck so that he dies, you know, in pain. I was ready to say, well, he's just, you know, he's a thug and we don't need to care about him. But over the course of this episode, as he talks with the bartender, I think he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life now that he, he feels like he's made mistakes before the pilot. Where we still don't know what, what exactly he did that he's so torn up about. But now he needs to find his place with this crew and he needs to not just be this you know Han Solo, uh, you guys do whatever, I'm going to just drink myself into a stupor. He actually bucks up and he actually does go out there and with his sniper rifle, well, I mean, he saves Shepard's life. That's really good. I mean, he hasn't quite done the peacemaking. He hasn't gone up and apologized, but at least he's on the side of the good guys now, at least, you know, when it suits him.
1: Well, that's the question. Is he on the side of the good guys? I, I think King is a really fascinating character. And I think as a character, he's basically the embodiment of what Last Resort is trying to be about. In the sense that it's, it's trying to be a show about America and are we the good guys or are we the bad guys? How should we use our military? Are we really a force for quote unquote peace? I mean, in mm. all the marketing for the show, there's that image of the American flag tattered and in the water, you know, that, that's yeah. put on all the posters and in all of the marketing for, for the show. And the the last shot of this episode is that American flag. So clearly the show wants to explore in a, in a post-9-11 world where U.S. foreign policy hasn't always been admirable. Who exactly are we? Are we the force for good that we thought we were? And that's exactly kind of the mindset in which we find King. Um, there's that whole scene... Mm-hmm with uh Dechan Lachman the bartender there where she kind of marks his face and says you know right. here on the island in our culture if you're marked you're basically you're the mediator of the conflict and that's not something to take lightly and i i thought that that was a little bit corny and kind of cheesy <laughs> but then right. at the end when Lachman's character tells him, hey, you did it the right, you helped make the peace. He responds, uh, you think I made the peace? I just ran out of people to kill. Mm -hmm. So that idea of, are we actually bringing about peace if we're constantly just responding violently? Yes, he saved Shepard's life, but he had to kill these Russians to do it. And he kind of implies that this is what I do. I'm a killing machine. This is how the right. military has <laughs> trained me to be. You know, is that a good thing or not? I, I, I think that that is a very interesting issue to explore. And I'm really excited to see how they continue to develop his character.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of think it's, it's this idea of everybody has their own idea of what it means to be an American. Chaplin feels he's being awfully patriotic by firing on the Illinois. Um, the Captain of the Illinois thinks he's being awfully patriotic by following orders, firing on Pakistan. You know somebody thought that that was the correct thing to do. Everybody is that we've seen so far, you know, there's nobody yet that is doing things for their own purposes. I'm, well, autumn research seems to be, but for the most part, everybody is doing things for the good of the country or for, you know, this is the American way. this is the the correct thing to do.
1: Well, except for King. Well, yeah, there's there's King, but he's still he he's he's kind of caught in the middle trying to figure out who he is right. and what his attitude is going to be yeah. moving forward. He's kind of caught in the middle between all of these d- divided loyalties and this and in, in this confusion about what does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be patriotic? What does it mean right. to be a good human being?
0: Right. Well, yeah, I think he sort of has the perspective of he knows that what's going on in Washington is not right, but he also doesn't believe in chaplain. He has no loyalty to chaplain whatsoever. So he's not going to just jump on that bandwagon just because he's disillusioned with the military or disillusioned with Washington. He's trying to say, well, what does it mean? You know, loyalty aside, what's the correct thing to do in the situation? Or do I even care? Do I want to just, you know, abandon it and do my own thing?
1: I feel like he's kind of leaning towards just abandoning it all. Yeah. It, you know, he feels so guilty about everything that's happened as a result of, of his actions back in Pakistan that he's kind of depressed and he just wants to drink and, and doesn't really know what to do. He, he it, it kind of seems to me like he just doesn't – he doesn't want to take orders from anybody for a while.
0: Which that's kind of – that might be the way I felt I would feel in the situation, you know, especially – not being a member of Chaplin's crew, like, yeah, maybe this is a good time just to run away to a remote island. Oh, wait, here's a remote island. Maybe I'll just hang out here for a little while.
1: Yeah, I need to take some time off and just reflect on what's happened (laughs) and kind of figure out who I am and what I want to be moving forward. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking for a while. Let's move on to our main topic of the episode, which is going to be... um, Executive Officer Kendall and what we learn about his past and this whole situation with his wife, Christine, back in the United States, where she's being interrogated by the government and she learns some things about him that she didn't know before.
0: Your husband was a captive of the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea for over 17 days. Yeah, that's not possible. Marcus Chaplin went off the reservation to force his release. Put his career on the line.
1: Sam, just tell you that was a regular deployment. Why does a man lie to his wife? I don't know. Well, Marcus had him lying to you, to everyone. And if he's capable of that, what else could Marcus get him to do? You think that's the only
0: lie your husband ever told you?
1: I don't know, okay? Why don't you tell me because I don't know what this is?
0: i lost seven of my men you want their names look it happened i'm over it can we move on please that's your husband learning to lie
1: what did you think of that whole storyline
0: yeah it's some it's some powerful scenes where you know she's refusing to tell them anything which i don't i don't know if she even knows anything but you know, certainly if they could get her on their side, she could, you know, be playing Kendall from the inside and be telling him, you know, do this, do that. But at the moment she's she's been refusing, she's been saying, no, my loyalty is to my husband. He's never lied to me. And so they show him, they show her this tape. Sort of reminded me of On Lost, when Ben shows Jack the tape of the Red Sox winning the World Series, being like, we totally have you know, contact the outside world. Haha, look at us. We're, we're awesome. Now you need to just give up um, because we're obviously so much better than you. And they're basically trying to blow her mind with this by saying, look, your husband hasn't told you everything. He's actually been lying to you. And it's basically, what do you think of that? Doesn't that make you feel bad? And it does. Like she doesn't know what to make of this taper. He's, he's explaining that he was in a, a POW camp in North Korea, and, you know, lost many of his men. And they're actually trying to imply that he's maybe making up. I think is that the sense you got that maybe he was making up at least portions of the story?
1: Right, but I, I gotta be honest, this whole storyline didn't work for me. And oh, really? nothing involving Kendall and Christine, his wife, has worked for me. I think it's it's I think it's one of the weakest parts of the show. And again, I'm not sure if it's because I'm, I'm not really invested in uh, Jesse Schramm's performance as an actress, or if it's just the execution. Uh, hmm. You know, I said last week that I didn't like how in all of these flashbacks with her and Kendall, there's all the melodramatic music and it gets very <laughs> yeah. sappy and, 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 and kind of over the top. There was a little bit of that as well in this episode. And I just, I didn't feel like this episode was shot and edited in a way that really helped me connect emotionally with her as a character. There's that moment when she basically decides to not trust the government and she's talking to, to, to Sam on the phone. And then she suddenly says, no, don't trust them and don't trust me and what I'm saying. (laughs) And it kind of, it kind of comes out of nowhere.
0: It does Because yeah. you're
1: thinking, well, why wouldn't you trust them? She doesn't really have a reason not to trust them at this point. And the problem for me was just it was a craft thing and how that sequence was shot and edited. That whole exchange is done with in, in one shot where she's on the phone with him and then she says, you know, they've offered you amnesty if you give up Chaplin. And then you can see in the mirror or whatever behind her That that one government agent nods, and apparently something about the way he nodded, or or, or for for whatever reason, that sets her off and makes her change her mind. But they never cut to a close up of him as Hmm. he nods, or or you know to to his expression, and it just wasn't really clear to me. Wait, wait, wait. Why did you suddenly change your mind? That moment of realization wasn't fully communicated.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I, it really took me off guard as I was watching it. I was sort of saying, "Okay, this is going to be the standard," you know, amnesty, blah blah blah. No, honey, I can't do that. We're fighting for a cause, and she does sort of turn it on its head really fast. And maybe they could have started the scene with her being more combative and and not going along with what they were telling her to say. Right. But then you know they wouldn't have had this moment where where the Kendalls get to talk to each other, and that's. You know, nice to see that connection um, on screen sort of remind viewers these people are married. They mean a lot to each other. But I,
1: I feel like I understand that, though. I, I feel like I don't need that hammered in anymore. Right. Oh, um, sure. I do agree that it's a nice twist that she wouldn't just be going along with the government. And I like that idea it, I, in concept. I just don't think it was executed very well. And the the whole thing with him in North Korea, it was kind of like, well, he didn't lie to you. He just didn't tell you. And at, at one point, you know, Sam says or someone says that even though that they they dated for two years and they've been married for one year, they've only spent 124 days together.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. That I mean, that's
1: less than six months. Yeah, technically that they've had together. So is it really fair to expect him to tell her everything?
0: Yeah, I mean that that's
1: really true. <laughs> it just didn't seem to me like that would be something that would suddenly cause her to reevaluate her relationship with her with her husband.
0: Well, that's that's the part that they don't they don't share with with her, right? That at the end of the tape. For some reason it's like running while there's nobody in the room, kind of a weird weird thing, but he's explaining that you know he's not going to tell his wife because he wants that relationship with his wife to be free from this you know awful thing that happened to him he doesn't want to have to explain it to her and deal with it and think about it he wants to be able to go home and pretend it didn't happen which is you know perfectly understandable and i think right. if she were shown that part of the tape she would understand it, but I- well,
1: well, well. That's the that's the implication. The, the 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 show is trying to imply that because she didn't see that final part of the tape, she it's totally reasonable for her to start to question all of this. But I was thinking, no, it's not. I mean, the, the government's <laughs> basically like, oh, you're basically aiding and abetting a a, a, a criminal in 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 doing this. Um and and he hasn't told you everything, dum dum dum. And I was kind of thinking to myself, of course he hasn't told her everything. They've only been married a year, right. and they've only been together 124 days. And I, I I just feel I feel like her character, if she's going to be independent and loyal enough to resist the government on this one thing, but then kind of start to question when yeah. they bring up this other thing about her husband, it just it just didn't really seem realistic to me and I, 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 I feel like the the show needs to kind of figure out what it's doing with this character. It seems a little bit muddled to me.
0: I think to really play that note of, well, maybe he's actually lying or maybe he's doing nefarious things. I think the audience has to believe it to some extent. If the audience doesn't believe that Kendall could be lying, why are we doing this? Like why would his wife buy into it? And even if she does, as the audience member, you're just like, well, stop believing that. You know, you're his wife. You should be loyal. I, I don't see where this is going, like why this is a an important plot line for the series. If as an audience member, I'm not having doubts myself. Let's focus on having doubts about Chaplin because Chaplin doesn't have anybody. You know, maybe right. he is doing this for nefarious purposes. That's entirely possible. That's, I think, what we should be focusing on.
1: Right. The, the only interesting thing that came up with this plotline involving Kendall's wife is they introduce this lawyer character played by Jay Hernandez, who mm-hmm. she knows is apparently a friend of Sands, And he comes in and is basically like, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be your lawyer. I'm going to help you out. Let's take you home. But of course, it's revealed to us, the audience, that he's actually working for the government. Right, and that he's not on her side. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. But other than that, I just I'm not really interested or invested in her as a character yet.
0: I think it, part of the problem is we're still very early on in the show, and they're trying to juggle so many different plots. Uh, one thing that Lost did really successfully was focus on one character, at least for, you know, half of the show in flashbacks. So we're starting to get into their heads, starting to understand them. We just haven't seen Kendall's wife that much to be getting that emotional attachment to her and to understand why we're being shown these things.
1: Well, I feel like we, we, we have seen a lot of her, again, in what, in my opinion, are completely unnecessary, sappy flashbacks of, of her and Kendall. Uh, to kind of mm-hmm. show, oh, their relationship, it means so much and it's so strong. And we're supposed to believe that this is an important emotional connection that, that, that they share. And then we're supposed to be surprised when, when it's undermined. But I think you're right. They're trying to do so much and juggle so many things that it's, it's, it's not giving them enough time to really let things sit and breathe Yeah, yeah. You know, we mentioned in we were talking about the pilot and also talking about this episode. It's just such a fast-paced show. I feel like a lot of its flaws could be fixed if they just said, Okay, time out. Let's stop trying to quickly introduce so many things. And let's just take a step back and allow some of these moments to really sit and, and breathe and have some emotional impact with the audience before we move on to the next big twist.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. And hopefully we'll see the show get to relax a little bit. This this episode did at least feel a little bit more so than the pilot. I still feel like there's a 90-minute version of the pilot floating out there somewhere uh, because it just felt so so fast-paced and so many things were happening. This one, I felt, was a a step in the right direction. I was able to follow the different storylines. I didn't feel like Scenes were being cut short. You know, looking back on the episode, how many things actually happened? That's kind of incredible. <laughs> uh, that there's so many balls being thrown in the air. It'd be interesting to see. Will will next week be more of the same? Like, what sort of show is this? It's gonna. Is it gonna be on the sub? Is it gonna be on the island? Is it gonna be in DC? Or are we gonna be doing ten minutes of each every week?
1: I liked this episode again. I just I just felt like it's it's going so fast that. I'm having trouble keeping up and fully understanding a lot of the details about what's happening. The relationship between Kendall and his wife and that whole storyline feels muddled to me. In this episode, the whole thing with Cobb and those officers that ran away, that was a bit messy and mm-hmm. underdeveloped to me. There's a, I, I feel like there's so much stuff happening that it feels like a lot of them are being cut short as yeah. a result.
0: Oh, yeah, and we didn't even get to the storyline about um, Cortez and Brannon. I was just about to
1: say, um, Surat, kind of the local warlord, he's not in this episode at all. And that whole subplot involving them, I'm assuming that's going to be a big part of episode three. But they they didn't make an appearance here at all. So I feel like the show needs to realize, okay, we, we've got a lot of stuff happening here. There's a lot of stuff we could do with it. Instead of constantly introducing new things, let's stop and really focus on developing what we have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I,
1: I, I think it, it, the show is still struggling to find its rhythm. and hopefully within the next few episodes, it'll it'll sort of uh, find its footing and really start to flow. In, in the way I think it needs to and once that happens I think it's going to be a really fantastic show right now I'm liking what's there but it's there's still a lot of stuff that I feel like needs to be improved
0: yeah I love if next week was like oh and now the Chinese are coming after the the sub and then <laughs> oh it's the Germans oh no it's the Swedes <laughs> they want our sub
1: yeah I, 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 I don't want to see one of those you know bad guys of the week type formats right, for this yeah. show I feel like there's enough going on that they can really just breathe and and develop what we already have. But uh, is is there anything else you would like to say about blue on blue before we wrap up this dispatch?
0: Not too much. Next week I do want to talk more about the Russian POWs that they took and the fact that they didn't execute them and talk more about Chaplin's son and and deal with that. I really hope both of those storylines are touched on in next week's episode really solidly, and we can talk about it next week.
1: All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this episode of Dispatches from St. Marina. As always, we would love to hear your feedback about the show. You can email us at last at lastresortatfilmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. Uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes. I highly encourage you to do that, and please write us a review and let us know what you think of the show, and, and, and that'll also help get the word out about the program. Greg, where can people find you online?
0: Well, the easiest place is just going to Twitter and putting in my handle, which is Greg Harbin, that's G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B as in boy I-N, where I mainly talk about Doctor Who, as well as Star Trek, uh, because I actually do another podcast, which is called The Ready Room at trek.fm, where we do a weekly news and discussion show.
1: You can find more of my writing at filmgeekradio.com, and you can follow me on Twitter At twitter.com slash writerandrew. All right, I think we've reached the end of this dispatch. I concur. Insert your key into the firing mechanism. Yes, sir. And three, three, two,
0: two, one. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah.